Today we're going um, to continue through the book of Mark, and we're going to be in Mark chapter 6. And so you can just go ahead and open up your Bibles. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're, we're just going to jump right in. Fathers, we um, just come to you tonight. God, we ask that you would minister to our hearts, and uh, Lord, this word specifically, um, God, that you would just do a fresh work. Uh, Lord, maybe those, those areas that have remained untouched for some years, or, or maybe just within the last couple days or weeks, there's been certain things that you've been uh, just challenging us in, if, if that's the word we could use, uh, encouraging us in, uh, just calling us deeper. And Father, I pray that you would just use this word to drive that word home. God, that we would uh, uh, be bent by your spirit and uh, by your word to, to do your will, God, at all times and all seasons, that we would draw closer to you, that you would bring healing in, in different areas of our lives, maybe our relationships, uh, maybe our home life, uh, whatever it may be, maybe um, a growing animosity in our hearts, Lord, that these things would be quenched as we continually submit ourselves over to you. So, Father, would you have your way? Help me to speak it. Help us to hear it. In, excuse me, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, tonight, I'm going to be talking about the, the beauty of repentance, and rather than belaboring the thought and, and getting to the conclusion, I'm just going to just get it out of the way right from the top. Uh, my intention is to uh, that we'd walk away with just a, a different maybe perception of the word repentance. I think the word repentance, I mean, just the way that it sounds. I, I, I'm, I'm a writer. I like to, um, I play with words. And uh, so there's, there's a, a certain uh, cadence that certain words have. And um, even if you didn't know what the word meant, just the way that the word sounds, it, it kind of, um, it might insinuate certain thoughts. Um, the word repentance, it sounds like a very sharp word, a very harsh word, um, and then couple that with the fact that the word repentance has been shouted from the rooftops uh, by many people who maybe didn't have the, the, the nicest demeanor, right? It almost comes off better, uh, holier than thou, right? Uh, there's a gentleman on the side of the uh, street. He's got a sign, and it says, uh, repent for the kingdom is near. And of course, what color is the sign? It's black, and the words are white, right? Because he wants you to know that you need to repent, right? And there's a, a sense in which it's true. Uh, repentance is not always easy, um, but there's another sense in which there's beauty. There's great beauty in the word uh, repentance. And so I, I just kind of want to uncover that tonight because that's as I'm studying the scriptures, uh, it's, it's what I see in the scriptures. So I just kind of want to take you in this journey with me. Um, I, I will say that Sometimes even the word repentance, that sometimes our, our biblical understanding is, is misconstrued. So let me give you an example. Somebody might say that the word repentance means to turn from your sin to God. I think that's a true statement. I wouldn't argue against it. I, I don't know that it's a helpful statement. Let me explain to you why. Because in the mind of a new believer or an unbeliever, they, they hear Two things that they must do, and they hear it in order. And unfortunately, I, I don't think it's in order. They're both simultaneous. They happen together. But when you hear it one after the other, you assume, well, first I must do this, 
and then I must do this. And that creates a massive problem. Let me just explain to you why. If you tell a, a sinner that he's got to turn from his sin and that he's got to come to Jesus, here's what he just heard you say. That he's got to get rid of all of his sin. He's got to erase all the pornography off of his computer. And he's got to get rid of all the drugs. Maybe he's got to stop uh, pimping and find a new way to make money. Right? Wh whatever, whatever it may be. But uh, he knows that deep in his heart that this is impossible. Because even if he erases the pornography from his computer, he still has it in his heart. Are you with me? And so he feels like you've just laid an impossible task before him. So you tell him, well, you need to repent. You need to turn from your sin. And you need to come to Jesus. And he goes, well, that's the problem. I don't mind coming to Jesus. It's the turning from my sin part. I can't seem to do that. And oftentimes you'll hear them say things like this in all sincerity. I want to give my life to Jesus. I just don't want to be a hypocrite. Right? So, so what, what he, he just did the calculation in his mind and he thought it's a really good thing to come to Jesus. I, I agree with you. I think it should be done. But the problem is I know my addiction to my sin. And I know that uh, I'm probably just going to go back to my sin. And the reason is because he thinks on one part he does on his own, and then he comes to Jesus. What he doesn't realize is that they're both happening simultaneously. That true repentance is, is uh, and again, I'm not going to say that this is wrong, that we turn from our sin, we come to Jesus. But in reality, true repentance is turning to Jesus, is turning away from our sin. In, in other words, what we're really telling the sinner, or what we should be telling the sinner, is that I, I know that you're a hypocrite because I have a tendency to be one too. And I know that it's impossible for you to overcome your sin. In fact, you're dead on. It is impossible for you to overcome your sin. So I'm, I'm, I'm beckoning you. I'm calling you. I'm asking you, come, come to Jesus because he'll help you not to be a hypocrite. He'll enable you to do what you're unable to do for yourself. This is why we need Jesus. We, we come to him, right? Somebody, somebody might say, uh, somebody saying, well, I'll get rid of my sin, and then coming to Jesus is like saying, I'll take a bath before I take a shower. Well, if you took the bath, you don't need the shower, right? And in the same way, if I could get rid of my sin and then come to Jesus, well, then I don't need Jesus because I've already did what Jesus was going to do for me. Does, does that make sense? And, and so, you know, we're, we're playing with words here. I mean, we're all saying the same thing, but are we really saying the same thing? So when you hear the word repentance, what, what do you hear? What does the sinner hear? Do they hear an invitation uh, that Jesus is able to help them and walk them through life, that he's able to bless them and bring healing? And, and this really is what repentance does. It opens up the door for Jesus to come into our life. I often uh, liken it as I'm, as I'm talking to maybe somebody who's in their sin, and, and they say something like this to me. I say, do you realize it's, it's like being in your house? And forgive me, I know I'm, I am belaboring this now, and I'm saying the same thing twice, but just follow me. It's like you're, you're in your house, and you got a mess in there, and Jesus is knocking on the outside of the door, and he's saying, hey, uh, uh, can, I, can I come in? And you go, oh, man, my, my house, is a, it's, it's, a, it's an absolute mess. I mean, this is, this is Jesus. This is the holy of holies. This is the son of God. I can't let him in 
my house, and that would be disrespectful. Well, pause. We get the sentiment. We understand the thought process. All of us have felt that way, unworthy. But in reality, why is Jesus knocking at the door? Does he, does he not already know that there's a mess in the house, and is that not why he came? Hey, I know you got a mess in there. I, I came. I, I want to help you clean up. You can't do it on your own. Because even if you get rid of it all and throw it all in the trash, you've got a filthy heart. And because you've got a filthy heart, uh, sometime down the line, you're just going to end up with all the things that you have in your home that you wish weren't there. Let me in. Let me sup with you, do life with you. And I'll change your heart. And I'll give you a new life. And then once we get rid of the trash, it won't come back in because I'll be residing with you. And when it even tries to come back in, I'll help you to fight against it. Let me in. Right? So, and when you have it from that thought process, then, then you just kind of, you know, ask the question again. Isn't it, wouldn't that be so um, idiotic to, to say, uh, well, well, not yet, Jesus, let me clean up first? Where Jesus says a doctor doesn't come for the healthy. He comes for the sick. So Jesus didn't come for the righteous. He came to call the sinner to repentance. Now, now that word has a whole a new meaning if we look at it from that perspective. He's inviting them into his presence. This is what repentance does. Right? One last, can I just go on one last tangent for a second and then, <laughs> then we'll dig in. Is... Um, then, then you even have some Christians that will go as far as to say, well, you don't, you don't need to repent anymore because they're still viewing the word repentance as some, some bad thing, right? And so they would say, well, Jesus has already forgiven your sins. Why are you still repenting? Well, any person with a right mind would know even though I've been forgiven and even though I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I still, still have thoughts in my mind that need to be repented of. I, I still have a slip of the tongue sometimes that needs to be repented of. I, I say or do things that I know is not pleasing to God. And, and so repentance is not a bad thing. I'm, I'm inviting Jesus in every area of my life. God, shine your light on this. I know, I know you're with me, but I need you to, let's focus on this. This is a, I need your blessing. Let's put it, let's put it that way. I need, I need your blessing in this area of my life. And, th- and that's what repentance is. Again, it's an open door to God's healing. It's an open door to God's presence. And so, yes, Christians, not just the world, Christians live a life. In fact, we are the ones, rather, who live a life of repentance. Can I get an amen? Amen. Verse 1. Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? So the synagogue was a central location where the uh, the people of the community would come for, it was a place of gathering, it was a place of learning, it was a place of public reading and discussion. Uh, maybe they would have uh, some of the well-known teachers in the area. Uh, they would come and they would be invited to speak or if somebody was coming in from out of town, but, um, but they were uh, 
you know, they, 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 they were known for their wisdom and expounding and unfolding the scriptures. They would invite them to share in the synagogue, and all the people would come, and they would listen to them teach. It was a place of prayer. Um, it's, it's reasonable to assume that uh, youth, if they were of age, to be able to comprehend and listen and dialogue, that they were invited as well. Uh, you, you can see this with Jesus being 12 years old, his parents losing track of him. And where's Jesus? He's, he's in the synagogue. And what is he doing? He, the scripture says he's listening and he's asking questions. And they're, they're astonished. 12 years old. And it says they're astonished at his understanding and his answers. I, I don't know what that means exactly, his answers. I don't know if that means that they turned and started asking him questions. Well, well, you're a young man. What do you think about this? And Jesus at 12 years old, because remember, he is the word of God, right? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And, and Jesus, being the very word of God, begins to unfound, unfold for them the scriptures at 12 years old. And they're, and they're amazed. But this continued to happen for the, the, the next 20-some-odd years of Jesus' ministry, that he would unfold the scriptures, and they were amazed. They would invite him into the synagogue to listen to him speak. But the scribes and the Pharisees, those that, were, uh, those that were, had the, notary of, of the notoriety of Israel, they, they began to get a little jealous. Who's this dude? And, 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 and jealous as well, you can see right here in this very verse that, that they're jealous because the people are astounded. So the people are used to hearing them speak and listen to them unfold the scriptures. And now they're looking at Jesus and going, I don't, he's different though. He, he speaks with an authority that they don't have, right? Like not only authority where miracles and signs and wonders follow him, if that's not enough, every time he opens up his mouth, it seems like there's a demon-possessed man in the synagogue. We, we've, had, we've known this guy for years. We didn't know he was demon-possessed. Jesus shows up, and all of a sudden, this guy's demon comes to life. What's, and these things would happen wherever Jesus went. But not only that, but when they contrasted Jesus' teachings with theirs, it was, it was as if Jesus not only had an understanding they didn't have, but it was almost as if he knew the prophets themselves and would unfold for them even the intent of the very word of God, the very heart, the core of it. But furthermore, when others spoke, there, there was no freedom, there was no joy in their preaching. In fact, the more that the scribes and the Pharisees spoke, people just felt the weight of God's judgment. Well, how do you know that? Let, let, let me read for you Matthew chapter 23, verse 1. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works. For they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one finger. So every time they're expounding and unfolding the, the law of Moses, they're just heaping on more rules on people's shoulders. 
that they themselves are not even fit to carry, right? That they, they, they themselves don't even do because it's impossible. There's a new sect uh, making its way these days called the, the, the Black Hebrew Israelites. And when you talk to them, they, they really, uh, they find much identity in the law. And it's just so ironic that, uh, that, that when they open up their mouths to speak, they've got all these rules that they're mad at you for not following. And yet they themselves don't even follow. Because you can't. You can't follow every law. That's why even in the law itself was the provision for mercy. In the law itself, it ordained that there must be a sacrifice that was made for the forgiveness of sins. Well, if you could obey all the laws, why would the law itself provide a way of mercy? Are you with me? And ultimately, we know as Christians that that mercy that was provided in the law was Jesus Christ himself. That he was the lamb to be sacrificed. And that's why Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. In other words, I fulfilled all that the law had prophesied and commanded. And now you're to believe in me. And if you believe in me, you've fulfilled the law and the prophets. Verse uh, 3 says, as they're wrestling with their own jealousy and animosity, They said, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. In other words, uh, everywhere a prophet goes, he receives honor, but not amongst his own people. Now, I, I, I think as we approach this verse, and, and uh, you know, I've used this before, I think especially as evangelists, like um, uh, anyone who is uh, progressively and, what's the word I'm looking for, um, a, a progressively and aggressively sharing the gospel, right? Um, like we're all called to share, but let, let's just be honest. Uh, some of us just talk more than others, right? Right? And you get championed. Like, um, let's just be honest, like, l- real candid here, right? Like, you get, you get championed as the person who shares the gospel with everybody. But let's be honest, if you hadn't given your life to Jesus, you'd be talking anyways, right? You just, <laughs> I'm just being real, right? You just found something good to talk about. Now, now, now all praise to God, right? He's filled your mouth with good things. But while some of us are tempted to be so jealous, it's like, he just shares with every. No, he just talks a lot. Let's, let's be honest. <laughs> and if it wasn't about Jesus, it would be about something else. But let's just thank God it's about Jesus now. And, you know, and, and, and for the world, too, they could, they, they could say, well, this guy, he, he just won't shut up about Jesus. No, the truth is he just won't shut up, right? If, if it wasn't about Jesus, he'd, you'd say the same thing. <laughs> he just happens to be a Christian now. Praise God for that. Any, anybody like that? Raise your hand. You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> Where was I? Being bold. Yeah, I don't know. So anyways, we'll... Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so some, sometimes we'll use this verse uh, to kind of explain our own rejection. 
right? And so somebody who's of the nature that I just described, like this will be their go-to verse. They'll, they'll say, well, see, a prophet is, is uh, not without honor except in his own country among his own relatives and in his own house. This is what Jesus said, right? And so that's why I'm being rejected because they know me. They're familiar with me. Um, not necessarily, okay? In, in context of this particular phrase that Jesus is using here, it's an indictment against the Jewish people. So I, I don't know that it's necessarily appropriate to pull it out of its context and use it today. I mean, there might be a principle there, right? A, a simple principle might be that, yeah, people might reject you if they're familiar with you and your sin and the things that you used to be involved in. And, and they're so familiar with you that now that God has filled you, he's made you new, they just have a hard time really grasping it. And they're like, well, who are you? Who are you to tell me? You were doing the same thing, right? Um, So although that principle may be true, I don't know that that's necessarily what Jesus is saying right here. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying two things. Number one, it's an indictment against the Jewish people because their forefathers have made a habit of rejecting the prophets, even those that God has raised up amongst their own brethren. This is the history of God's people. I mean, think about that. God, out of all the world, has has not only just chosen a people, it's not enough to say that God chose a people, but in the sense that God created a people out of one man, Abraham, and and said, from Abraham, I'm I'm going to, uh, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you. I'm going to preserve you as a people. And that's why there were very specific laws that were given to a very specific people, which Excuse me if I go on a little tyrant here, but that's why it makes no sense then for the new covenant believer to now try to apply all the laws of Israel to today. God was preserving a very specific people for a very specific task, and that was that through their lineage, the Messiah would come. Now the Messiah has come. We have one job. That's to believe in Jesus and to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to to obey God. You're like, that's, you're saying more than one thing. No, 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 I'm not. As you believe in Jesus and he fills you and he enables you and empowers you to live a new life, you're doing the will of God. Our one job is to trust and believe. There's an indictment against the Jewish people because they have a, a habit, even though that they, were, they were formed by God, pulled out of the world, given a law to be separate, and yet God would uh, constantly send his prophets to his people to instruct them, and one by one they would reject the prophets. Some they would even murder. And, 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 and now they've got this history. They pride themselves on their history, and yet their very history says, hey, you don't listen. which is a warning for us, that we don't turn and do the same thing. But it's not only an indictment uh, against their history, it's an indictment against their own faith. It's an indictment not only against the Jewish nation's history, but against their own personal faith. God's own nation had become infamous not for diligence of faith, but for obstinance. For often the prophets had been inclined to the Jewish people, but rather went to their foreign neighbors who would be more receptive to their message. Listen to what Jesus says in uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 23. 
uh, 24. It says, then he said, assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land, but none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian. Now, I just want to unfold these, unpack these two stories for you real quickly. Uh, because I just feel like it goes beautifully with all that Jesus is about to command and what we have for us as we're exploring the beauty of repentance. So he says, uh, your history of your forefathers, you, you guys are now doing what you've always done. You're rejecting the prophets and now you're rejecting the very son of God. And you'll notice, as you study the Old Testament, this was often the case. That when God went to go send a prophet, he wouldn't even send them to the people of Israel. He'd go send them to the Gentiles. Why? Because they're more apt to believe. And they're more apt to repent. And so he gives two examples, the widow and Naaman the leper. So if you'll remember with me, there was... Uh, there was Elijah, there was a, a, a drought, as we just read, for, for three years and six months. And Elijah was commanded by God to, to go to the brook that flows into Jordan. And I want you to stay there and remain there until I tell you otherwise. And here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to cause ravens to come feed you. And the scripture says that every morning and every evening that ravens would come, and that they would feed Elijah bread and water, or excuse me, meat. And so here's Elijah just waiting, which by the way is just fascinating. Ravens are one of, they're one of my favorite birds because they're just, they're just fascinating animals. But they're scavengers by nature. And so to have this picture that a raven is coming and giving, uh, excuse me, not water, it was bread and meat, and coming and giving Elijah bread and meat. They're, they're, he's doing something that's contrary to his nature, which is, which is just an awesome miracle. So anytime you and I are worried about our bills or we're worried about getting caught up on this or that, just, just, just be reminded. We, we serve a God who, if he wanted to, he could cause a raven to provide for you, right? <laughs> Jesus brings a, a fish out of a coin, a, a coin out of a fish's mouth. This is what he does. Our God is a provider. And so here's, a, here's Elijah, and now Elijah's, uh, he, he's, he's at the brook, which flows into the Jordan. He's being fed by the ravens. Nobody re really knows how long it was. Um, I read one commentary that said it was possibly about three years before that river dried up. And, but there he was, waiting on God's command, and God tells him, hey, I, I want you to go to Zarephath. I've commanded a widow to provide for you there. So, okay, he, he gets up, he, he goes to Zarephath, and uh, Elijah stands by the gate, and as he's, um, as he's waiting there, he sees this widow come, and she's gathering sticks. And so he calls out to her, and he says, uh, hey, ma'am, would you, would you mind uh, giving me a cup of water? And she says, okay. 
And so she gathers her sticks and goes to get some water. And he, and he says, uh, and, and also, would you mind giving me a morsel of bread? And the widow looks at Elijah and says, hey, dude, I, look, I don't think you understand. I'm, I'm out here gathering sticks because all I have at home is just a little bit of oil in a jar and just a little bit of flour in a basket. And my plan was to gather these sticks, burn a fire, cook the rest of the bread that I have with the oil, and me and my son were going to eat it and die. That's our plan. And Elijah says, listen, fear not. I want you to go. I want you to, to do as I've asked you to do. Bring me back some water. Uh, cook, cook the meal, as you said that you're going to do for you and your son. But then bring me a, a small muffin, right? And it, God's going to provide for you. And so the, the woman went, she did it, and it was just as he said that the, the flour never ran dry, the oil never went out, and God had provided. And, 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 and now she's seeing the, the, the miracle of the Lord. And lo and behold, as God does it, usually does one miracle and causes uh, another, another testing at the same time. Do you, do you trust me? Do you really trust me? And so what happens now is the, the, the boy dies. She says, uh, what did you come here to do? You came here to remind me of my sins before the Lord, that now my son has died, and, and even uh, Elijah is a little taken back. He cries out to the Lord, God, why did you bring me here? You, you fed this woman, and now you've taken her son. Like, what's the deal? And so he takes the, the boy, walks him up to the upper room, carries him to the upper room, and the scripture says he, he, he lays him out on the bed, hand to hand and, and body to body. He lays on him and just cries out to the Lord, God, deliver him. God, save him. And three times the scripture says that he did this before the Lord. And then the breath came back into his soul and the boy came alive and he brings the boy back downstairs and presents him to the widow. And the scripture says, now by this I know, the widow says, by this I know you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. So here we have it, that, uh, that Elijah didn't go to, to any of the Israelites. Why? Because they wouldn't believe. They refused to believe. So God sends his prophet to a Gentile. And she believes. And then you have Naaman the leper. Now, this, this story is really interesting because Naaman the leper is a commander of the Syrian army. And in fact, not only is he a commander of the Syrian army, but as the story has it, he actually held captive an Israelite girl. So they had just ransacked the city and taken a girl from the city, and, and, and now he's got an Israelite captive. But Naaman is a leper. He's got leprosy. And so the young girl says, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria. And he's referring not, not to Elijah, but Elisha, which was Elijah's disciple. And so he's like, what, 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 are, you, what are you talking about? And he said, she, she, she says to him, essentially, you don't understand, there's a prophet in Israel, he, he would heal you, you would be healed. In this one word from the girl, 
Faith come by hearing, hearing by the word of God. He hears the word. He, he believes it. So he goes to the king of Syria and says, hey, I, I need you to send me to this prophet in Samaria. And so the king writes a letter to the king of Israel and says, hey, I'm, I'm sending to you Naaman the leper. And uh, the, 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 <laughs> the, the king of Israel gets the letter. He reads it. And, and he's like, wait, so you're sending me Naaman the commander of the Syrian army because he's got leprosy and you want me to heal him? And he gets upset because he's like, what what are you guys doing? You're playing games here? I'm not God. I can't heal nobody. And he's like, dude, this, this guy wants to pick a fight. He's trying to start a war here. Now I can't heal him. He said, oh, you can't heal my servant, so I'm coming after you, right? Is essentially what's going on in this guy's mind. But a servant tells him, no, 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 no. Send him to the prophet. So Naaman takes his chariots and his horses. Can you, can you imagine this, like the prestige? He drives his chariots and his horses, and he's going to see the prophet, and the prophet's going to heal him, right? And what does the prophet tell him? The prophet tells him, I want you to go in the Jordan River, and I want you to, to wash seven times. And he's furious. The Bible says he's outraged. Well, why is he outraged? Well, it tells us. Naaman said to himself, he will surely come out to me, stand and, and, and in the name of the Lord is God, wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Instead, he's sending me, he's like, I had in my mind that you were just going to come out with me and my servants and my chariot and, and that you were going to say in the name of the Lord, be healed. <laughs> right? That's, that's literally what he had in his mind. But instead, the prophet tells him to go dip himself in the river that he considered to be pretty dirty. In fact, in his mind, he actually was thinking, well, there's all these these other places he could have sent me. It's clean water. Why is he going to send me to the the Jordan River? And uh, one of his servants said to him, hey, listen, like, let's just reason here. If, If he had asked you to do some hard, courageous task to be healed, would you have done it? He said, yeah. Then why why?" Why don't we just do this simple thing? Just dip seven times in the dirty water. Apparently, I don't know. He said, it, said that, that'll heal you. That'll do the trick. And so he dipped seven times, and he was healed. And then he says, I know that there is no God in earth except in Israel. Amen? Hey, the reason I dragged these two stories out, number one, to make the initial point, which was to say that Israel had a history of unbelief, so much so that when God would send a prophet, he wouldn't send it directly to them, oftentimes, because he knew that they wouldn't receive it. So he'd send the blessing to their neighbor. Far be it from us that our neighbor gets blessed because God knew if he gave it to us, we wouldn't receive it. Right? And this is what repentance is. Repentance is a call. God saying, hey, come on. Just come on. I want to bless you. I'm not ready yet. You're not ready for what? To be blessed by the Lord? You're not ready for him to heal you and do a work in your family? You're not ready for him to give you peace and to give you joy and replace it for your anxiety and fear? You're not ready? You know, in the world, we say stuff like, I ain't scared. I ain't never scared. I ain't never scared. <laughs> I ain't. And then the irony is that at the same time, we're like, we're buying everything. We're holding on to everything. We're purchasing it. I don't care if I die. If you don't care if you die, why are you holding so tightly to your life? Right? 
I'm not ready yet. You're not ready. It's foolishness. He came not to kill, but to heal. He came not to steal, but to give life and life abundantly, the scripture says. Now he could do no mighty work, verse 5. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And, And there it is again. Some would reject their blessings, others would receive it, and they would be healed. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about in villages in a circuit, teaching. And he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two and give them power over unclean spirits. I do think that this is good direction for those of us who like to evangelize. It's, it's not that you can't evangelize on your own, and, and I wouldn't uh, try to hinder you from doing that. But if you can take somebody with you, by all means, do it. There's a biblical principle here. In Deuteronomy 19.15, it says, One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits, but by the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. And so there's just something powerful that happens when two people are in agreement. In fact, I'm sure you're thinking of a verse even as I say this. Where two or more people are gathered in my name, I'm in the midst. I love praying by myself, but there's something special that happens when I pray with my wife. Right? It just, you, you just sense it. That maybe even where I lacked faith, that she uh, has faith where I lacked it. And, and so I, I just feel at peace. We, we got this because God's got this and, and he's in our midst and he promised that he, that he would be. Um, and then it's a, in, in, in accordance with the New Testament uh, power, as I just mentioned, that he promised that he's in our midst. He commanded them, verse 8, uh, to take nothing for the journey except a staff, uh, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And of course, I think that verse can be explained by the next, for it says, also he said to them, and whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. So they weren't to take anything with them. Uh, They were just to trust God that he would provide for their journey. But then he uh, told them how he was going to provide, how God was supernaturally going to provide for them. And this time it wasn't going to be through ravens. Uh, God was going to open up people's hearts and they would open up their home. I, I want you to go. Just go. Don't take anything with you. Just go. And when somebody invites you into their home, meaning they're, in, they're receiving the message that you're preaching, because that was the, the custom of those times, Right? Uh, some of us joke, there's a comedian uh, somebody had played a while back, but it was like back in the day, somebody would knock at your door and, and you would like open up the door. You would already have like, um, not, not you and I, like we're probably too, too young for this, but, uh, but back in the day, right, like they would already have like cake ready, right, because you never know, a guest may come, right? Now it's like uh, uh, somebody unexpected shows up at the door and you're like hiding behind the couch and you're like, who is it, Right? <laughs> Not, not that it might be somebody that you don't know, but maybe you're afraid it's somebody that you do know, right? <laughs> you're like, oh, now's not the time. When I'm in my home, it's my alone time, right? <laughs> and then the problem for some of us is that we're always in our home, and that can be 
that can be a problem. Um, where are we again? I'm <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, so they would be invited into their home, but then there would be others that, that would not be the case. For he says, uh, whoever will not receive you nor hear you, when you depart from there, shake off the, the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, this, this is some of the most terrifying words in the New Testament. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So there it is. Some would invite them in, uh, uh, take care of them, receive their message. Others would be offended at their message and tell them, just, just get out of here. Don't you see the sign? No soliciting, right? And they're instructed. Now, to wipe the feet off their, to wipe the dust off their feet was uh, essentially what the Jews would do when they walked through uh, a, a Gentile city. And it was almost as if, to, to, as a sign that, that the Gentiles are outside of the covenant of God. We're a chosen people. Uh, these people are not even worthy to worship our God. They worship pagans, right? And so when I walk through their city, first of all, I'm only going to walk through if I have to. Like, I've got no other choice. And if, and if, I, and if I've got no other choice and I've got to walk through, then when I get to the other side, I'm going to wipe off the dust off my feet because the, the dirt that they walk on is not even worthy of entering into the promised land that God gave to us. That was their mentality. Now, Jesus kind of flips the script and says, now you go to them, and if they will not receive this message, take the, wipe the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And essentially, it's the same thing as saying, no, 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 no. No, you're outside of the covenant. You, you may be an Israelite by blood. And you may feel like these promises belong to you. And they do. They do. If you'll believe in Jesus. Because he is the promise that God sent. But if you make the same mistake as your forefathers... It's not only going to be bad, it's going to be worse. Now, this does tell us that to some degree there's different levels of judgment, which kind of goes against some of our Christian sayings. You know, we like to say, well, all sin is the same. That's not true. That's not true here on this earth, and that's not true eternally. Now, there is a sense, which I would say, amen, all sin is the same in the sense that all sin comes from unbelief. It comes from pride. And rebellion against God. So yes, in that sense, all sin is the same. But there's a difference between, on, on this side of heaven, there's a difference between uh, hitting your neighbor and murdering your neighbor. Oh, you better believe it. And the judge is not going to look at you and go, if you say, well, it's no different than me hitting the guy. No. <laughs> Trust me. Right? But it works, it works the same way. We could see here that that, that principle is, is an eternal principle. Not, not all sins are equal. And, and the sins of their fathers and of, and, and, and of those who disbelieved, and in this case, Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and I want to just present to you the case of Sodom and Gomorrah. So when Jesus says uh, that your sin is greater and the mistake that you're making is even more grave, listen to what he's saying. Remember, Sodom and Gomorrah was a city that had been given over to homosexuality and, and self-love. Right? So much so that when God not only sent an angel, what did he, he didn't, uh, not only sent a, a prophet, he didn't just send a prophet, what did he do? He sent an angel 
two angels. And they were so caught up in their, their own desires that when they saw the angels, they thought to themselves that they wanted to have sexual relations with the angels. And they tried to bang down the door to bring those men out. Are you, are you with me? Jesus says that those who reject the gospel are making even a worse decision than Sodom and Gomorrah and will be held to a greater judgment on that day. Why so? Because the way that judgment works is by the light of revelation. The more revelation that somebody has to the truth is the more they'll be accountable for in the day of judgment. So in the Old Testament, and when I say the Old Testament, I'm not, I'm not just talking about the Jews. I'm talking about the Old Testament era. There was a, there was a, uh, a measure of revelation that God had given, not only to the Jewish people, but through the Jewish people to the entire world. So as God had delivered Israel, he showed them his power, but he didn't just show him his power, he showed the world his power. And what God was doing over here was spreading all over here, and they were accountable to respond, right? And God didn't reveal, in a sense, all of himself. He revealed some of himself, some of his attributes. But now the Bible says that Jesus is the light of the world. That light has come into the world, but men have loved the darkness and are afraid to come into the light for fear that their evil deeds will be exposed. When, when it says that Jesus is the light, he's not only the light that shines in the darkness of our heart, but he is the light in the sense that he reveals who God is. He is God, the scripture says, in the flesh. So if you want to know who God is, you don't look to the thunder clouds and go, God, make it thunder. I want to hear your power, right? You look to Jesus. And now God's power is displayed in his resurrection. Are you with me? And so the fullness of the revelation of who God is, is now made known through the person of Christ, and nothing is hidden. God has fully disclosed himself through the person of Jesus. Therefore, those that reject Jesus are going to be more accountable on the day of judgment than those who had never heard of Jesus. They'll still be accountable. Romans 1 and 2 says, tells us they'll be accountable because God has revealed himself through creation, what they know about God because of creation. They'll be accountable because of conscience, because their conscience testifies to them when they do right and when they do wrong. Therefore, everybody on every continent and every village does know right from wrong. Thou shalt not murder. Doesn't matter what village you're from, you know that it's wrong. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Doesn't matter where you're from, you know that it's wrong. Well, what about the villages where they just do whatever they want? No, that village doesn't exist. Because if you do whatever you want to the person who's in authority, he'll punish you. Ah, so he may feel free to commit adultery, but if you commit adultery with his wife, you'll be punished. Meaning he knows right from wrong, and it's revealed in his judgment, not necessarily in his doing. Are you with me? 
So, so there will be those who will be accountable uh, to what God has revealed to them through creation and what God has revealed through, through, uh, to them through their conscience. But for us who have the, the gospel, we have the full counsel of God made known to us. And therefore, if we reject that, we'll be held to a greater account. Are you with me? So they went out and preached that the people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And I I really want to go to to the rest of this, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to. So so Pastor Derek is going to have a a bigger portion for you guys. Sorry, Pastor Derek. (laughs) Uh, But I want to be wise with the the time here and... and, um, and I think the point has, has already been made. But the point is this. The point is, is that uh, we set ourselves up for judgment when we reject the grace of God given through Christ. But we set ourselves up for great blessing. Listen, let me just read lastly what happened to those who received. It says, so they went out and preached to the people that they should repent. There's that word. And listen to what happened as a result. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Repentance is not a dirty word. (laughs) Repentance is a beautiful word. That whatever it is that you and I are going through, the Holy Spirit invites us, hey, just, just repent. Ask God for forgiveness. And God will bring his healing And God will right your wrong. And God will draw you back into relationship with him. The scripture says that God rebukes those he loves. When God rebukes and there's a word and it hits and you're like, ah, man, I feel so, uh. Well, God's not doing that to turn you away. He's doing that to turn you too. He loves you. And if we would just be willing to say, God, I confess. The scripture says that if any one of us sin, if we would confess our sins, that God would be faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Amen? Amen. Here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to end right here, and um, I'm just going to pray for us. And, um, you know, sometimes we, we give an altar call. You know, maybe it's on a topic like this for repentance. And, you know, there's this, just this stigma in the room that we might feel like, oh, my goodness, if I go up there, they're going to know I'm repenting, right? Like, <laughs> there's, that I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing, and everybody knows now. And, <laughs> and, and tonight, I just want to remove, you know, that, that stigma that, uh, that you and I might have in our mind and just remind us, no, like, all of us, all of us have things to, to repent for or, the Holy Spirit's been ministering to our heart, and we just haven't done that yet, and that needs to be repentant for. And all we're doing is we're just opening up the door for God's blessing. And so um, I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come up, or Sam, and, and uh, as, as, as he begins to play, he's also going to lead us in uh, communion. And so if you feel led just to take communion at, at your seat, but maybe the Holy Spirit would convict your heart of just something to repent for, or, or maybe you would like to come down. I'm also going to invite my, my follow-up team and uh, the elders that are, that are present with us today. 
if you can make your way up to the front. And so if you would like somebody to just pray with you, um, and, and again, just to invite God's blessing in a certain specific area in your life, we just want to give you the time to do that tonight. Um, so as, as, as Sam plays, I'm just going to uh, pray for us, and then as you feel led, you can make your way down here, um, and then we'll do communion together. And um, for those of us who are down here, you can, you can just take communion. In fact, if you come down here, go ahead and take your cup with you. Um, and then with that, your seat up here, we'll, we'll take it together. But Father, we, we thank you, God, for just the opportunity that you've given us to, to live a life of, of freedom. Lord, to be free, to uh, acknowledge those areas that we've fallen short. God, your word says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, um, and Lord, we just hold on that, to that tonight, that uh, you didn't come to condemn us. You came to wash us. Father, that you, you came to, to set us free. And so, Lord, we pray, God, if there's any area in our life that we've withheld from you, that uh, tonight would be the night. Um, or maybe there's just even something that happened today, Lord, that, that we just know wasn't right. We, we just want to confess that before you. But, uh, Lord, we, we don't want to withhold your blessing from touching every area of our life and those that we're connected to. So, Father, would you just make that known by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we lay this at your feet, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.